Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to Ask Catholic Dude, where you can ask that Catholic dude, me, Nick, the Catholic dude, any questions you might have on the Catholic Church, the faith, scripture, the tradition, tradition, I said the tradition, the tradition, I don't know, sometimes I slip over my words, I apologize, but any questions you might have, please feel free to ask here on Ask a Catholic Dude, uh, via the Anchor FM app, if you don't have the app, download it. It's a uh, awesome tool to have, and it's pretty easy to make podcasts on there too. So uh, check it out if you can. Check it out. Uh, but anyway, thanks for uh, tuning in today. So I promised a couple of weeks back, or a couple of weeks. No, it hasn't been that long, has it? Well, hmm, two weekends ago. So oh, well, I guess a week and a half. We can say we can say about a week and a half ago. Uh, I was able to interview, uh, do a couple of interviews at the Young Adult Liturgical Conference up in Mundelein, Illinois, uh, the seminary. Able to interview Dr. Dennis McNamara. Look back for that, as well as Bishop Joseph Perry, uh, the auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Chicago, one of the auxiliary bishops of Chicago, and uh, it was just a pleasure speaking to him. Um, and uh, I'll be putting up that interview now uh, on this very show you're listening to this moment. He's a great, great bishop, um, great priest, great man. And uh, I was honored to be able to speak with him today. He was actually the uh, he was actually the bishop that was in charge of my vicariate growing up. Uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago was so big that it's divided into separate vicariates. And uh, some of the while you know while currently you know Cardinal Blaise Subich is you know the Archbishop of Chicago, he has his auxiliary bishops helping him uh, in dealing with you know such a large population. And I grew up. On the south side of Chicago, uh, in the south near south suburbs, and uh, I remember seeing Bishop Perry at quite a few events growing up, and uh, you remember hearing his homilies uh, given at many uh, Blue Army masses. Uh, the Blue Army, also known as the World Apostolate of Fatima, is uh, a great apostolate, a great organization within the Catholic Church, which uh, has devoted itself to Our Lady and in. Uh, Bishop Perry has been uh, touched by the Blue Army as well, uh, growing up with them uh, throughout his life, just as I did. I, I can remember uh, just just big parties with my Italian family, and even my Polish family, but mostly these memories come from my Italian side of the family where uh, you know I knew all my second cousins, and we'd always hang out and everything. We all lived pretty close by. I mean, we played baseball every summer and we could have, you know, a full game nine on nine and everybody was related to each other. So it was pretty awesome. Uh, but I just remember birthday parties, you know, my, 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 my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, great aunts and uncles, cousins were all in the, uh, we're all members of the blue army. And, uh, there was this beautiful statue of, uh, the Virgin Mary of, uh, you know, Our Lady of Fatima, and it was just this huge, huge statue, and uh, we would often have, my uncle uh, would often have possession of, of, of this statue, and we would uh, usually uh, pray the rosary uh, with with my entire family, uh, you know, when, whenever uh, we could for, uh, for anything from a fourth of july party like family birthdays like i mean i specifically remember the, the statue was in the uh uh the living room and you know we're you know we're we're venerating uh our lady and we're asking her to uh give you know lift up her prayers to our lord as we say the rosary 
you know, since she's so close to our Lord's throne now in heaven, so much closer than we are. And it was just a beautiful sight to see well over 60 people, you know, screaming kids running around and stuff too. But we would all stop before like eating birthday cake and stuff. And we would, you know, sit down and we would, we would say the rosary. We would prayer for, uh, we would pray for our Lord to have mercy on us. We would pray for our lady and the saints intercession before his throne for, for our intentions. And it was just great to have that witness, that love for uh, our Lord just exuding from all my family members you know like i said fathers uncles everything was great and they just had a great devotion you know to our lady as well it was just it was beautiful and we talked a little bit about that uh with with bishop perry it was a great you know just great to sit with him and ask him about his devotion to our lady especially with uh, our lady of fatima just uh the the centenary just passing this past uh year Last year was the the hundredth anniversary of the uh, the visions of Saint Francisco, Saint Jacinta, and Lucia uh, in uh, Fatima, Portugal. So you know we talked a little bit about that, and then also he had a great great talk at a liturgical conference on uh, liturgy and history. So like we kind of switched gears, you know, halfway through the interview and kind of got back onto that. And oh my gosh, you, you just had to listen to this interview because he's got so many great insights on just you know why simultaneously young people are just attracted to you know traditional liturgy to to you know actual you know beautiful catholic christianity and yet you know so many of my peers are also just you know ready to ignore uh the 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 truths of our catholic faith it's it's this weird dichotomy and uh but but the thing is like and you'll see how bishop perry talks about it. he he talks about how young people just you know they desire authenticity and uh there's nothing more authentic than the church that church that that jesus founded and he's got some great insight here so uh, i encourage you all to listen uh, as he talks about uh devotion to our lady uh as she helps us get closer to her son our lord jesus christ and uh why the sacred liturgy is such a, a powerful vehicle for that praise that adoration that we offer to our lord uh you know the sacred liturgy is just it's it's literally heaven on earth it's as close to heaven the sacrifice of the mass it's as close to heaven as we're ever going to get here on earth so it's just it was really nice to hear him talk about that so without further ado, here is Bishop Perry, and thanks for listening once again to Ask a Catholic Dude. Hey everybody, I am here with Bishop Joseph Perry, the Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, here at the liturgical, uh, liturgical Conference at the Liturgical Institute in Mundelein. Uh, Bishop Perry, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. You're welcome. Uh, Bishop Perry, uh, you, you gave uh, an awesome talk today on, on the liturgy, but before uh, we touch on that, I, I'd just like to ask you a little bit about um, Our Lady, particularly Our Lady of Fatima. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we've just celebrated that centennial of the apparitions last year, everything regarding Our Lady's appearance, you know, it's still fresh there in the minds of Catholics and other Christians. Um, and there's been so many different apparitions of Our Lady over the centuries. In your opinion, what do you think it is about Our Lady of Fatima in particular that, that draws people to her and, and like the messages that she gave us? Well, I believe people appreciate her motherhood. And the things that mothers do, uh, they express a lot of concern for their children. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> things that are going to happen, things that are good, and things that are not so good. Uh, 
So I find it very interesting in my own private devotion to Mary that she has tended to visit us just before some calamity was about to take place. But I don't think the populace was ready to hear bad news in that sense. Whether it was World War One or World War Two or um, whatever else was happening um, in the world that occasioned her her warnings mm-hmm. and her uh, beckonings for prayer and penance to somehow allay those experiences. Uh, the biggest feature of the Blessed Mother is the fact she is a mother and she acts like one. Right. Very good one. Very good one. Uh, and, you know, one message that I remember most, uh, you know, hearing about, especially through the, you know, Blue Army going to the their catechesis classes as a kid was, um, you know, our, our ladies seem to constantly ask that we make reparation for sinners, uh, for the offenses against our Lord. And, and some people, unfortunately, uh, may not know, you know, what we're even making amends for. Um, you know, like, what, what are some ways that we can effectively do this, what Our Lady asks, in our day? Well, reparation is something that's not new to Catholic piety. The fact that we can, only God can measure that, but somehow by our prayers and suffrages, we are making up for the people who do not pray or people who have gone before us. We pray for the souls in purgatory, and we believe that our prayers, our masses here, can somehow come to the aid of people who are on their way to God and for whatever reason have made a stop-off in that period of purification waiting to be received by God. Reparation is a big theme in the prayer life of the Catholic Church, principally through the Mass, our private prayers. Mary asked us to do that with use of her rosary. Um, mothers do that all the time, praying for the children. Right. I think of St. Monica in terms of her son, Augustine. She was making reparation for him for years before <laughs> he finally turned his life around. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a rich aspect of the Christian life. We don't necessarily have to know what we're making reparation for. All you have to do is turn on the news and you see all kinds of things that we can pray for, make amends for, mm-hmm. especially for people who don't pray, right. don't have that connection with God, or don't find any reason why they have to change their modus operandi. <laughs> right, right. That's a good point. It's very, it makes me think of prayer. Those who do not adore, do not trust, and mm-hmm. do not love you. Sure. Now, why do you think it's it's so important that devotion to Our Lady, particularly under this title, you know, spreads? Because it it seems that there's many of those entering, uh, you know, non-denominational communities. I've noticed that are you know that that know a little bit about Our Lady and they hear about Our Lady of Fatima, um, especially even from Muslims. I know many Muslims are uh, you know have a devotion to her, mm-hmm. but then there's you know there there's some that don't understand the important role of Mary in our lives overall. Like, they, they get this, they know there's this devotion here, but they don't understand, like, the immense role she has. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we show them that, you know, her role is important and she always points to her son? How can we get that point across to them? That probably is a catechetical or a religious instruction theme. Uh, also a theme that can get across in the pulpit, especially mm-hmm. when we're preaching on any particular Marian feast, Mary's role in the economy of salvation, uh, 
begins, it begins at the start with the Annunciation in Luke's Gospel. Um, God apparently could not do what he needed to do as far as rewriting the script for us. He needed the agency or the help of a woman, mm. and he chose her to do it. So she's a great cooperator, whatever sense a person wishes to describe that, a great cooperator with God. Without her, we would not have... We lost. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you wonder if he asked any other woman and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's a good point. You know, but this one said yes. Thank God. <laughs> exactly. So this, this, this places her on a pretty high pedestal as far as Catholics and Orthodox and mm -hmm. some Muslims and some other people are concerned. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um it, and I'm curious to know, it, you, you told me a little bit about this before we started this, but how has Our Lady worked specifically in your life? Like, what led to that great devotion that you have to Our Lady? I point to the days we were in grade school, um, Catholic grade school. I've been in Catholic institutions all my life. But the nuns fostered a love for Mary um, in our childlike and childhood hearts. All of her festivals were celebrated including her May crownings. Uh, we learned her hymns by heart, and that it, it became a, a natural part of our Catholic formation, and it carried on through seminary education. You know, uh, so there's, there's been no interruption there. She was a natural part of our, our rearing, our Catholic rearing. That's awesome. Can't imagine it without her. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> Nor could I. I can't either. Oh my gosh, it's great. Um, so I just like to switch gears, you know, switch topics a little bit. Um, you know, we're here at the Young Adult Liturgical Conference. This is the mm -hmm. second year that this conference has taken place, um, and you gave an excellent talk on liturgical uh, tradition and history. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems now more so than ever, young people are just thirsting for the riches of the Latin rite. Uh, you know, which were often kind of lying fallow for the mm -hmm. last half century or so. And to a much higher degree, they seem to be interested in their previous generation, maybe than Generation Xers or, or late uh, boomers. Uh, what do you think has led to this resurgence in interest regarding uh, the liturgical traditions of the Latin Rite? I think young people, uh, being the healthy people that they are, are interested in mystery. They are troubled by some of the conundrums and the stuff that's not connecting in our culture. They are concerned about some of the false messaging that's out there by way of the culture. The individualism, the secularism, uh, the kind of selfishness, the pleasure-seeking culture that we live in. And they're wondering what that's all about. Where is it all going? Uh, some are not fulfilled in it. We see young people who have resorted to drugs, some of them have resorted to suicide because they have not come up with any answers or guidance. Uh, some of them live lives that it's hard for the church to grasp and embrace. Uh, we try to reach out to them to give them an alternative. Right. I think we have an immense treasure trove of liturgy and worship where all of that begins for young people. Ideally, in their earliest formative years, not every young person is a, has been brought up well by their parents. They may not have been benefits of Catholic education or whatever. Uh, they may f run into these questions that everybody else runs into when they're in college or high school or 
wherever, but who's going to answer them for them? Right. You know? Uh, liturgy is a good place to start for us. And as I mentioned in the talk, I, most of the young people I find who are coming over to the Catholic Church say they did so because of our worship, our profound liturgies that, right. that draws them in right. to the mystery of God. Everybody has to wrestle with the mystery of God. Everyone. We can put it off, we can refuse to uh, pay it any attention at all, but everyone comes up with the question, who is God for me? How do I find God? And what avenues or sources do I use, resources, with which to do that? Right. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, in, in going to you know, a specific point that you had made in, in your talk, you had mentioned that um, you, you had posed us the question, you know, what constitutes the Roman right? What constitutes the Latin right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in recent decades, um, I've had the benefit of uh, kind of growing up with both lungs. I have a family that's Ukrainian Catholic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen our Byzantine Catholic brothers and sisters kind of making the move to go back to their own liturgical traditions after mm -hmm. years of Latinizations, you know, as they call it, and, mm -hmm. you know, that, that have taken hold. And, like, authentic Byzantine traditions, authentic Latin traditions are beautiful and rich. And uh, I'm just curious, do you think that Catholics of the Latin right need to undergo a similar... Uh, Purge of modernizations like these excesses or this liturgical terrorism, um, <laughs> as, as, as was mentioned. Um, does this purge need to happen to regain that full patrimony of the Latin Rite? Mm -hmm. And if so, how would that look? I don't know of any pedagogical method that allows us to do that adequately enough unless you're studying theology or studying liturgy or you happen to have a catechist or a religion instructor who can touch upon some of these points, <clears throat> but you don't find them naturally printed within the average catechism that's being used right. these days yes. by religion <laughs> teachers in that. Right. Or unless you have a particular parish priest who is schooled or has natural leanings toward this by way of adult enrichment and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think we have to find ways to, as I mentioned, to re-educate the faithful. Mm. about the riches of their past. Uh, we live in a society and a culture where uh, we, we're not so much interested in going up to the attic and opening up the hope, hope chest <laughs> and finding the old pictures of our grandparents and great-grandparents, those who came across the ocean to find life here and that. Um, I don't know why that is. Um, mm. But the more we know about our past and from whence we come, the better our futures can be. Right. You know? Right. Nowadays you have genealogy.com and <laughs> ancestry.com that's trying to link people up with their past. Right. Um, it helps to be interested in that. I, I think it helps to know who your great, great, great grandparents were. Absolutely. Uh, how they worshipped. What were the fevers, the passions, and the disappointments and despairs that brought them here? Mm -hmm. It just can't be cut off, and nothing past 1990 is, is worthy of any notice on our part. Right. I think we're impoverished mm -hmm. with that kind of approach. I agree. And and, and that kind of actually that, that dovetails beautifully into uh, my next question for you. You know, there's been... Uh, 
at times, you know, Pope Benedict would mention that there's that hermeneutic of discontinuity mm -hmm. um, or rupture with our Latin patrimony. Mm -hmm. um, and I sometimes get the feeling that there are just, you know, many, I mean, I can't quantify, but that there are those that are in the church who feel that there is a clear line between pre-Second Vatican Council Church mm -hmm. And post Second Vatican Council Church, mm -hmm. um, Catholicism, you know, and, and, and if they're two different churches, how has such a divide occurred between Catholics, and how how do you suggest, or how how can we go about resolving that that divide, resolving that division? Education, again, I think is key to it. Um, the pedagogy of the past, the way we we taught religion and history and so forth, did not allow for an appreciation of that kind of past. So many new things. You're a young man, so <laughs> you didn't live through that, fortunately no. or unfortunately. But mm -hmm. uh, the 1960s was a beautiful, but at the same time, a troublesome period in, in history. A lot of revolution yeah. was taking place. A lot of people were searching and using alcohol and drugs for their searching. And <laughs> it was all over the place. Oh, it was misdirected, <laughs> mm -hmm. and no one was guiding it. No one it, was guiding it, you know. Like you're on your own, and they just exactly the world. <laughs> exactly. Um, it has settled down some. I, I think we got into the the 1980s, and we've seen a better balance with perspective on life, uh, choices that we need to make in life between choices that are bad and choices that are good and so forth. But we have a ways to go yet. Yeah. A ways to go. And, and it's this younger generation is going to have to somehow steer the ship. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what it feels like. And I've, I actually had a conversation with uh, Bishop Conley in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he said, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 as you said, the young people are going to have to steer the ship. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, so go, you know, but, you know, we have a lot of young priests coming up. And he tells me that so go priests so go bishops, mm -hmm. and that things may get brighter, mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, we trust. I think that can happen. I think that can happen. I hope so. I pray for it. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, you talked um, quite a bit on the extraordinary form of the Mass, and, you know, as you know, many young people, and Pope Benedict noted as well, have found an attachment to this. Mm -hmm. Regarding that, you know, Pope Emeritus Benedict uh, XVI often talked about that mutual enrichment, or as you said, that cross-fertilization mm -hmm. uh, that needed to take place between both forms of the Mass. Um, Cardinal Robert Seurat, for example, uh, you know, somewhat recently, I think it was two Advents ago, mentioned mm -hmm. that, you know, we should be emboldened. He, he encouraged priests to start turning back towards the Lord, um, you know, by offering the Mass at Orientum more often, as one example. Um, in what ways do you see the extraordinary form uh, really enriching the ordinary form, and why is that good for the life of the Church that this enrichment happens? I think uh, one of the biggest needs of the Church is a sense of, of unity, uh, as opposed to fragmentation, or as we mentioned, partisan partisan camps of opinion. Yeah. The church does not work well with partisan camps of opinion. Um, uh, Francis, Pope Francis speaks of, of dialogue as a way to bring people together. Um, not everyone appreciates the consequences of dialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, everybody wants their way. 
and it doesn't become dialogue. It's exactly. We need that dialogue to take place if we're going to come up with anything more expressive of our unity in Christ. Um, otherwise, it's going to be Democrat, it's going to be Republican, it's going to be Independent, but it's not going to be Catholic. Right. See? And that's what has to be worked towards as far as possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and this will be my final question for you. Uh, there's a lot of uh, what your opinion would be on this, because there's a lot of people who, and you mentioned in your talk, it's like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't want to go back to that. You know, they think that turning back the clock will happen if we start embracing these traditions and whatnot that are lying in our attic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that it's not in the spirit of Vatican II, whatever that is. How are they to find that spirit? Um, mm -hmm. You know, how should you know? It, it seems sometimes it's hard for us to articulate a response to this. You know, and. How, how should one who understands, you know, that necessity of being connected to the liturgical patrimony of our right, how should we respond to charges that we're turning back the clock or that we're not in the right spirit? Well, the Catholic Church is well over 2,000 years old. We didn't start in 1990. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true of the Orthodox Church. It's true of Judaism. It's true of all of the great religions. Mm -hmm. We have a treasure trove of history and literature and behavior and charity that is built up to produce who we are today. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't know how to do what we're doing. Right. You see, um, how do you get people interested in, in patrimony or history? Well, it's not easy. Some people have natural bents towards history. You say it's it's the most difficult subject to teach in schools today, especially high schools. Kids are not interested. They want to know what's the new cell phone coming out tomorrow, the new yeah. iPhone. You see, right? They don't want to. They they might snicker at the dial phone. <laughs> used to have the press button. Phone. Right, but we all use this. Exactly. <laughs> what does that do? Do you use that? Yes. Instead of being curious about. How the dial phone, Ma Bell, was the connecting female for all of us for generations. Um, she connected us one to another by using her phone. You got to appreciate that. And they don't want to know about it. They don't want to know about it. They're only yeah. interested in AT&T's <laughs> latest, exactly. latest and greatest. Exactly. What's, what's the latest? Which is the mostest? Which is <laughs> there are people like that. Yeah, a lot. You know, a lot. It's. I'm a historian. I, I, I love history. I, you know, we, we don't know who we are unless we look at the past. Right. We're on the shoulders of giants, and mm -hmm. if, if we don't exactly. build on that, we're, you know, I mean, it's that famous quote, you know, you're doomed to repeat it if you don't know what's happening. Exactly. We learn from the past. We try to make amends for the mistakes of the past in order to pick up the virtues and we'll move us forward. Absolutely. But if we throughout all of the history books, uh, we're guaranteed to repeat some of the mistakes uh, that have been made. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that. So. Exactly. Well, Your Excellency, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're um, welcome. And hope to see you again soon. Thank Any you. Time. <laughs> Take care. Thank you.